1: Breaking news just in, Shane's lovely wife has just given birth to a beautiful baby girl. Shane, congratulations, mate. I'm so, so happy for you. Uh, Not only am I happy for you, but I know that the whole Talking Pools podcast crew shares this joy with you. And I'm, I'm certain that our listeners also wish you the very best in this time. You take a few days off, if you're able, heck, it's winter down here, do it. Rest up, support your wife, enjoy these first few days with your little girl. It's a wonderful time, and again, wishing you all the best. Congratulations. G'day folks, Peter here, welcome back to Monday's Down Under on the Talking Pool podcast, and you're stuck with me again today because something very, very special is happening. Shane's wife is currently in labour, should be any moment now that we hear news uh, of the birth of a junior in the family. So um, we're all hoping it goes well for you there Shane, not that you'll hear this until Monday, but... Uh, no I really hope it's going well. Uh, I'm told that mum is doing really really well uh, quite relaxed about it although uh, those of us who have watched our wives give birth know that this can be a very very stressful time for all concerned. I'll uh, if I get a notification during the uh, recording I'll definitely insert the, the breaking news. Interesting week this week. Those of you who listened to me last week know I was talking about preparing for winter. And just in the nick of time, because last weekend into early this week, we had a, quite a bad storm for our area. It was reported as record rainfall over the couple of days. It was beyond the capacity of our city's infrastructure to handle in some areas. Our airport got flooded, including inside the buildings, and in uh, some cases. So, my week's been one of fixing up very, very messy pools. There were strong winds, so a lot of garden debris went in, a lot of dirt went in, rain washed a lot of dirt in. A lot of pools overflowed, uh, those without overflow fittings on them. Uh, those that did have that do have overflow fittings would overflow into a soak well typically. I'm not sure if that's the term you use elsewhere, basically an underground pit barrel drum type thing, often made of concrete, water flows in and then soaks down into the dirt around. But the soil was so saturated, these would fill up, particularly those that were also catching rainwater from the roof of the house. So a lot of flooding there. I spoke last week about the importance of allowing a little bit of extra on some of the chemical levels in case of dilution by rain. Well, we had plenty of dilution some pools were diluted by, I'm guessing, around 10%, which, which is considerable. So uh, if you haven't heard my episode from last week, please have a listen, uh, and you'll hear me explain why I recommend upping some of the chemical levels at this time of year in our climate here in Perth, Western Australia. The other thing I found, apart from the dirt and the chemical dilution through rainwater, There was a fair bit of equipment damage. So customers will always want, typically want, the cheapest option. But is that always the best option? So I'd like to give some examples that I've seen over the last week uh, and some examples that I've seen over the last 28, almost 29 years that I've been working in the industry. So we've got to be aware that there's a difference between damage and normal wear and tear. And normal wear and tear is something that you identify through regular servicing typically, or if it's a one-off call-out, you can say, hey, this part is worn, that part is damaged. But it's important to know the difference and why it was caused. Now, this particularly comes to mind because of a valve I had to replace a couple of days ago. Now, replacing the just the internals of a valve, it's a Pentair valve, so it's quite a strongly made valve. But it just wouldn't seal so i replaced the internals with brand new uh, three-way valve common thing replace the internals it still leaked so at first i thought perhaps the pump overheated caused a bit of heat distortion of the valve which is mounted directly above the outlet port but there was no sign of any warping cracking any other damage as i looked through the rest of the system which admittedly is something i should have done first i noticed that after the heat after the filter before the heat pump there were two three-way valves obviously to divert some of the water restricting flow to the heater but the way they these had been adjusted they weren't allowing enough flow through obviously when you've got the pump in this case it was a two-speed pump when it starts up on its high speed I'm suspecting there was too much back pressure, and that might have caused a tiny bit of distortion in that valve. I do find it a little bit strange because the valve casing typically is one of the strongest parts of the pipework system. It's thicker and stronger, for example, than the pipes, than the O-rings and the barrel unions. So I'm still waiting to see how this goes. We left it 24 hours for the PVC cement to set on the replacement. Let's see, I'll uh, keep you posted. But other things, you can pick through general maintenance, regular servicing, that type of thing. And when I get to a job, no matter if I've been there a thousand times or if this is my first visit, I always, of course, look around the pool. That'll give me a lot of information about what I might be facing. After that, if I don't see any reasons for concern there, There, I'll check the flow of the system. And typically, you can tell if there's adequate flow by looking at how much water or how much air is in the pump wet end. If there's too much air, that may indicate a restriction on the flow somewhere. Same as the filter pressure gauge, if it's working, a lot of them don't. I look at the amount of water going through the chlorinator cell. Vast, vast majority of these have a clear housing here. Uh, I know that a lot of the American ones, sometimes we work with Hayward or Pentair systems designed in the US, and they often have a white housing that you can't see through. I love clear housings because you can see, A, what flow there is, B, you can see the gases being produced, indicating that the cell and chlorinator is functioning correctly. And also you can see if the cell needs cleaning without having to disassemble it. So that's one of the things I look for, although a minor thing still something that I value in a well-designed saltwater chlorinator. Uh, I also look for things like leaks in O-rings. I mentioned the gauges, pressure gauges. As I say, they often don't last long, especially on some of the cheaper imported filters that we see over here. Check for leaks around the MPV, pump seal, anything that could possibly leak. Check that the baskets aren't damaged, because we don't want the skimmer basket allowing excess debris going through to the pump basket. We don't want the pump basket being damaged, allowing gunk getting through to the impeller and clogging that, because that can cause damage. Also, check other things in the pool, such as safety suctions. Uh, in the US, I believe you call them main drain covers. So there are all the things we should be checking regularly. I'll cover a couple more specific to equipment as I go through this, but. One thing I found was a couple of damaged pumps. In one case, the wind had blown, blown branches off a tree nearby. It was actually on a neighbor's yard, and one of them went into the fan at the back of the pump. Now, for some reason, the plastic casing, the plastic cover over this fan was absent. It had been removed, be it blown off, removed intentionally, who knows? But this jammed in there, and broke the or jammed up the fan so it wasn't spinning freely. Made a hell of a racket. When the customer sent me a video with sound of it saying, Hey, what's wrong? My first thought was actually bearings. When I got there and I could actually see it though, I noticed there was that. Another reason to make sure that gardens around the pool are trimmed. If you get a storm, you don't want this stuff A blowing into the pool and B damaging your pool or equipment. So that one there, that's a fairly easy fix. There was no ultimate damage to the pump other than just uh, uh, a little bit of chipping on that plastic fan at the back. I had another one this week where something had fallen onto the wet end of the pump and put a crack in it. Here's a funny thing. In Australia, in my part of the country anyway, spare parts can be ludicrously expensive And I actually found it cheaper to buy a replacement pump than to buy a replacement wet end and mess around replacing it on the pump. Not a particularly difficult job, only takes a few minutes, but not nearly as long as, uh, but I'm sorry, longer than it takes just to swap out the entire pump. Customer was happy, he could claim it on insurance, he's still going through that, but... We've got to always look at what the best option is. Now, in this case, I don't like waste. I don't like things ending up in landfill. So that's another pump motor that I can either uh, recondition, you know, salvage a wet end off another pump and use it as a surface pump after that. Or worst case, it ends up in recycling, giving me some beer money. Other things I've seen... Not yet this week, but I'm sure it's coming, given the rainfall, is water getting into the top of the pump. So that's either where the capacitors are held, in the little box above the pump motor, or in the case of variable speed pumps, there's often a a circuit board in there. And if the ingress of water is permitted by a faulty seal or a damaged plate on top, that of course can start getting expensive. If it's just a little bit of water in there and just some damage to the PCB normally or the control board, I'll normally just replace the board out and uh, keep the rest of the pump. With pumps, though, mechanical seals and bearings are two other things that we often see. And yes, they can generally be repaired. And no, it's generally not a difficult job to do here, although in Australia, as I've mentioned before, it does require the services of a licensed electrician uh, to go inside the motor of the pump. I think it's ridiculous, but it's the law, and we have to stick to it because if something does go wrong, if I do the job and I'm not certified for it, then insurance won't cover me, I can be held liable, and it's a whole world of pain. So I have connections and suppliers who do that in their workshop. Now, sometimes I'll come across certain makes and models of pump and in certain certain circumstances. For example, it's a rental property. The landlord doesn't want to pay for an expensive repair on a pump if they can get a cheaper new pump, even if it's lower quality. So that's something we need to be aware of always look out for the best option for the customer as long as you're not losing money on it. Uh, In fact, as long as you're making a dollar on it. Another thing I see quite often is when the mechanical seal or bearings need to be replaced in an older pump. And we see pumps here that are often 10 to 15 years old. By that age, you never know if there's any other damage to the pump is it going to need the copper rewound is the shaft perhaps bent or distorted Uh, is the wet end distorted or damaged somehow so in those those cases i always explain to the customer yes it can be repaired it may there may be further problems with the pump later on because of its age and then I give my advice on what I would recommend they do. If there's not much of a price difference between replacing the bearings and replacing the entire pump with a brand new one, most people will happily pay a little bit extra to get a new pump, new warranty, knowing they won't have a problem for years to come. So that's something with pumps uh, and obviously baskets, lids, O-rings, very easy fix generally. Media filters are another thing. I do very, very few media changes. And the reason is, again, when you look at the price of spare parts, to do the job as I consider to be the proper way of doing it, if I replace the media, I'm going to take that out. Before I put the new media in, I replace the internals, the standpipe, the hub, and the laterals, because all you need is a little crack in one of those laterals and it can cause a world of pain. Generally, by that stage, you can be pretty certain that the multi-port valve needs a service. So by the time you buy the new washers, spring, o-ring, if there's any corrosion to nuts and bolts that may be holding it together, uh, they should be replaced. As they corrode, they weaken, as the pump cycles up, adds pressure to the filter, I have seen those blow apart because of corroded fixings. Uh, Perhaps it'll need a new filter clamp, especially if it's a metal one that's corroded significantly. The spring in the MPV, uh, spider gasket perhaps. By the time you've stuffed around with all of these things and done the media change, it's often fairly comparable in price, perhaps only a little bit more, to just replace the entire filter. I find that an easier job swap the filter out with new media again the customer has a new product should last them for many years and it's got the full manufacturer's warranty on it i once i've got a funny story once i had a customer rang me up i'd I'd never spoken to him before and he told me that he wanted his media changed but he wanted me to keep the existing gravel because he didn't want to pay for it so that's the gravel that tells you how old it is. We haven't used gravel in media filters to cover the laterals for oh, last time I did it was probably 15, 20 years ago, at a guess. So he wanted to keep the existing gravel and just replace the rest of the sand. And I said, no, that's not the way I do it. I'll do the job properly or not at all. So he wasn't happy. He got someone else in and very proudly told me that he's found someone willing to do the job properly how he wanted it. Uh, About three months later, he rang me up again and said that, uh, yes, it was in fact spewing filter sand back into the pool. I said, yep, you've probably got a cracked lateral. That's why I replaced the whole lot. So uh, you don't want that to come back and bite you. On the topic of filters, cartridge filters is something we see a lot of. I've mentioned a couple of times before that a lot of our trees here produce leaves with a high oil content, And when the oil goes, obviously leaches out of the leaves, into the water, goes through the filter, that will start to clog it. Now, there's a couple of approaches we can take. One, we can soak the filter in a filter degreaser. And there are acid versions of that. There are alkaline versions of that. Some people use a product here called Nappy San. I'm not sure if that's a brand over in other parts of the world. Effectively, it's a uh, kind of a bleach with surfactants in it. That I've heard a lot of people say that it's effective at cleaning the filters. Because it's not a recommended product by the filter manufacturers or by a pool equipment company, if something goes wrong with it, I could be liable. So I'm always very cautious about basically making sure I can handle liability further up the chain. I don't like being stuck with problems, especially when I cause them myself. Sometimes, though, any filter element will get to the point where you just need to change the thing. Uh, There's only so far you can go with it. I have one customer. They have a tiny tiny pool i'm talking maybe 5000 liters that's just over 1000 gallons so it's practically a spa it's got a 150 square foot cartridge filter in it and a tree that overhangs the spa completely and it drops flowers leaves these little nuts seeds whatever they are and berries into the uh, into the pool fortnightly service We have to clean the filter thoroughly every service. So it's every two weeks it needs cleaning. It gets degreased about once every two months on average. It's costing this customer a small fortune in degreaser and in replacement elements. It's also led to a massive accumulation of leaves and other debris in the equipment pump, uh, the equipment house, equipment shed. And I've told them. Dozens of times, you've got to clean that out. It's a fire risk. They're going to get spiders. They're probably going to get snakes, all sorts of stuff living in there. Look, a clean area is a lot safer on a number of levels than one that's full of plant debris. Saltwater chlorinators, one of my favourite topics. Now, a lot of them aren't working at the moment because the salt level has dropped down. I like to keep the salt level, as I said last week, a bit higher than normal, still within manufacturer's perimeters because that means we're not going to be affected by rain causing the system to have too little salt going through it. So you're still getting effective sanitation. You're not getting an excessively high salt level that can burn out the chlorinator. We do see a lot of that where people think the pool started going green, so I threw a few bags of salt in. It's a bad idea. You Just call your service professional. Let them advise. Let them come out to test and then advise on the best way of doing it so you don't screw up your equipment. But uh, we do see cell housings that sometimes need replacing. Uh, I saw one of those. Uh, Remember that pump where something fell on it and cracked the wet end? It hit the cell housing on the way down. So the cell housing was cracked, it needed replacing. It wasn't something that could be properly repaired. Boards, of course, the first thing to go when there is too much salt. Uh, Internal wiring, I have seen that overheat. Now, when wiring in a chlorinator overheats, I recommend a complete immediate replacement of the entire chlorinator unless we can identify the cause of it, a chlorinator building up too much heat, it can be a major hazard. Also, if it's burned electrically, that's a concern. I would get a licensed electrician out to check it first and foremost. I had a case, I guess a couple of months ago, uh, I was out replacing a pump and plugged it into the chlorinator. Uh, that's how they work here. The timer within the chlorinator controls the pump. We don't hardwire it here because we don't need want to have a licensed electrician come out every time we want to change a pump out. That's how crazy the rules are. When I touched the aluminium housing, uh, the rear of this chlorinator has an aluminium housing at the back, I got a, a zap. Uh, very mild electrocution, Little little electric shock. I told the customer, I said, look, this just happened. Could be the chlorinator, could be an earthing issue. Get a licensed electrician. And he said, yep, my father's an electrician. I'll get him out. I said, no problem. I caught up with him earlier this week, uh, bumped into him at a networking event, and I said, oh, if you had your, your electrician out to have a look. He said, no, nah, I've got to get on to that because a few days later, I was in the kitchen and a bit of water spilt on the counter and I went unplugged the kettle and went to move it. And, uh, oh, sorry, I I went to move the kettle and I got a zap from that. So I unplugged it and uh, that, that sorted it out. I said, man, you've got kids. Why are you putting up with stuff in the house that could electrocute people? Just get the damn thing fixed here. I'll get you some details of other electricians I know so you can call them or I'll even get them to call you and arrange coming out. That's a massive safety concern. People die from that sort of thing. So, uh, if in doubt, ship it out. Get an electrician in, get somebody more suitably trained and qualified than you yourself may be. Uh, maybe you do know everything about wiring that there is. Uh, Dan, for example, I don't think you'd often need to call a sparky out. Sparky being an Australian term for electrician. Another thing I do see is damage to cell cables or the terminals quite often it's corrosion quite often just through age they've worn out so that's something we do need to check i went to get a price on a cell cable for a customer a few months ago it's not all that common a thing and i was quoted 200 retail price for the cable and i thought that is ludicrous but it's what it costs and still cheaper than replacing the entire unit. And damaged cases, especially some of those with plastic cases, particularly if something impacts them, such as a falling whatever, as soon as it cracks, that allows for the ingress of water. Again, you don't want water getting inside your chlorinator, or for that matter, inside a light transformer, inside an automation unit, inside anything with electrics running through it. Some brands, we can buy a replacement case or a replacement part of a case. For example, the front half, if the back half is still good. Others, Other brands simply don't have them available, which I think is a misstep on their part. They should at least give us the option. But again, communication with the customer is key. This communication's made a whole lot easier by building rapport with the customers over time. I think I mentioned on a previous episode, uh, I've had quite a number of customers who have said, oh, can you, again, normally first-time customers, I've been told I need a new chlorinator cell. Can you quote, I've gone out there and found that it's simply not connected properly. Some of the chlorinators, especially one of the bigger brands, I think are designed terribly. They've got these terminals just slide into some brass fittings at the back of the cell and they fall out all, all the time. I think it's a bad, bad design error, but I'm sure they sell a lot of replacement cells because they fall out. So who knows what their motivation is. Chemical dosing systems. That's an interesting one. Very, very few customers follow manufacturer recommendations which are in the manual that comes with every piece of equipment, every dosing system in this case, the squeeze tube on the peristaltic pump and the acid feed line or chlorine feed line, whatever chemical it is, they should be replaced at least annually, according to most brands. Now, I've seen a lot of these where the squeeze tube splits over time. They do become brittle after a while. It leaks out and it doesn't matter if it's sodium hypochlorite, liquid chlorine, or if it's acid, be it hydrochloric or sulfuric, whichever you're using. If it gets into that motor of that parasitic pump, it's game over. It corrodes it out very, very fast. So that's something that does need to be serviced. That's an annual part. And for my customers with dosing equipment, I have it on their schedule for an annual parts replacement for anything like this that needs replacing. Once acid or chlorine gets into that pump and causes damage, game over. There's no option but to replace it. Other things that we see that need a lot of spare parts, need replacing, and sometimes, again, it's cheaper to replace the entire thing than just a part, suction cleaners. There is a very, very famous brand over here. Their spare parts are ludicrously expensive. People buy them again and again just to find that the rubber skirt on them, for example, needs to be replaced quite often, or a diaphragm. Some of them have a little, little flap inside. They're the ones, that dooga, 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 dooga noise they make. Uh, I'm not a big fan. When I get one of those needing parts, Unless the rest of the cleaner is in very good condition, I recommend they go to a more mechanical style of suction cleaner. Uh, To throw an example out there, the Pentair Rebel 2 is one that I do a lot of. But even with that, it does need parts as part of its maintenance. Quite often the turbine inside will need to be replaced. There's also a a, um, tune-up kit available for them, and that gives you a new pair of wheels, a couple of new cogs, and fits inside uh, the little. I should really know what this thing's called. I've replaced enough of them. There's a little spring-loaded section that helps change direction. Uh, so those few parts, that's part of the regular maintenance. And I find it's always worthwhile to tell customers, look, there is servicing required on this cleaner. That will avoid you having emergency emergency problems with it. You know, hey, I've got people coming over and my cleaner's not moving stick to the maintenance schedule that's also something that we as pool technicians should be checking on jobs make sure there's nothing jammed inside the suction cleaner make sure everything's moving smoothly make sure there's no sign of wear and tear in the usual spots depending on the make and model robotic cleaners now there's a lot of things that can go wrong with a robotic cleaner Sometimes it's very simple, like a track needs to be replaced. I see that quite often, especially in pebble creek pools, especially when it's the wrong cleaner selected for the type of pool. Any piece of equipment that goes in a pool should be suitable for that particular pool. It goes for anything, be it a robotic cleaner or a pump or a chlorinator or whatever. Most things can be fairly easily replaced. So, you've got your tracks or wheels, depending on the model. Uh, The basket or filter, whichever type of construction it is, they will sometimes just need outright replacement. Some of them you can get away with degreasing a few times. Uh, Those that have a cartridge filter like grid inside with a fabric grid, a fabric concertina fold filter, they can often be degreased a few times. Some of the brands I've seen as well, including my favorite brand of all, has a removable bag. So you take it out, hose it off, put it back on, or you can take it out, hose off the debris, throw it in the washing machine, and that'll degrease it very effectively if you're using the right detergent. Now, an important note on that, no matter how good your washing machine is for with its rinse cycle or how good you think it is with its rinse cycle, Always hose it out afterwards or wash it in the sink under running water to get any residue out. You don't want some of that stuff coming into the pool. Other problems we see are perished cables, partially because of UV light, partially because of high chlorine levels in pools can deteriorate them over time. They can go up into the several hundred dollar mark, depending again on the make and model. Heck, everything here depends on the make and model. If you've had water ingress into the motors inside it, that's something I've seen quite a bit on a pretty major brand. That's what part of the reason they say you should take it out of the pool regularly. Now, if you've bought a very cheap, you know, an $800 robotic cleaner from a hardware store that's cheap over here, then it's probably worth just replacing the whole thing. If you've spent $4,000 on it, very high-end cleaner, typically then it's a good idea to get it repaired. Obviously, if there are multiple things all at once, then repair may need to be an option. And again, you've built the rapport with your customer, you can speak to them about this, and you should hopefully have also earned their trust over time. With any pool cleaner, suction or robotic Again, make sure it's maintained, make sure it's looked after. Some customers don't, uh, especially tenants in rental houses. It sometimes not doesn't belong to them, therefore they don't give two hoots. On cleaning equipment as well, what we call a handover kit, so your basic, you know, your pole, your scoop, your brush, your things like that. Vacuum hoses, you can get little joiners go in they do restrict the flow very slightly so you can find bigger leaves and items getting caught up in them but yeah quite often a customer doesn't want to spend you know 80 100 on a brand new hose uh, they'll happily spend five dollars on a joiner for it at least in the short term telescopic handles or, or the poles for them over here they're all aluminium. I hear stories about the carbon fiber poles in the USA. I'd love to try one one day, see how it goes. If, uh, if ever we do get to, uh, if ever I do get to go visit the US and visit some of the, uh, the other talking pools podcast hosts, I'll, um, spend a few days, hopefully with them going around on a few service jobs and pick up some of the differences between here and there. Typically, uh, it's the CAM little bit inside that allows you to adjust the length and then hold it in position. That might need replacing. Also the wishbone. Now one difference I have picked between Australian manual cleaning equipment and US is the way things attach to the pole. Now as I understand predominantly in the US, correct me if I'm wrong, talkingpools at gmail.com. I'm sure the other host will pull me into gear if I'm wrong. But on the There's a protrusion on the equipment, be it a scoop or a brush or a vacuum head, and inside that is a little clip that then goes in and holds it into these little holes in the side of the vacuum pole. Ours are different. We've got a little clip called a wishbone that's inside the pole, so it then goes into a tube sticking out of the attachment, the brush or vacuum head, and then clips into that. So little difference there. Functionally, I think I prefer the American system. that's what's installed on my riptide. I just think it's a little bit uh, a little bit better. It's easier to replace. not that a wishbone's terribly difficult. One thing I do see is when people uh, want to contract the the pole, the telescopic handle, if they push the inner pole in too far, it can go down and jam or damage that wishbone in the end. It is only a light piece of plastic after all. I have never once repaired a leaf scoop. Firstly, I've never actually seen replacement mesh parts for them. Uh, Not available here anyway. I've seen some that are clearly designed to be repaired, but typically the cost of them, uh, they're almost a throwaway item. Uh, As much as I don't like that, uh, they're often not worth stuffing around with had an interesting one recently. We were in the uh, ute, me and the guy who works for me. And I said, what's that smell of burning plastic? There's a slight gap between the cabin of the ute, pickup truck, and the tray on the back. And it's at the front of that tray that we put all the cleaning gear. And my leaf scoop had fallen between that gap rested on the exhaust pipe immediately behind the motor or the engine of the car, and melted. Never seen that before. Uh, it's amazing how much they stink when you start melting them. The other one that we get a lot of queries about, and I think I'll end up with this one because I've been rabbiting on for over half an hour now, Pull lights. We get a lot of people who still have older pool lights with the halogen globes in them they haven't been really sold on pools for i don't know 15 years at a guess led has been dominant for, a very, for for quite a lot of years now sometimes we can replace the globe itself uh, there's an old one the old pool right lights australians are going to be familiar with that the pool right halogen lights the globe sits in this little plastic mounting with screws holding the globe in place. That can often corrode out. So that can be a problem. Also, given the age of them, quite often they'll be half full of water by now. So there, there's no option but to replace. But if it's just a globe, if you can find a globe, maybe the best option for the customer. Normally, I recommend people go to LED lights. They're brighter. last longer you don't have to stuff around changing globes the old halogen ones it was always recommended you'd run them for at least one hour per week very easy if you have a timer if you don't everyone forgets to turn their light on everyone i forget to turn mine on in my pool Uh, even back when i had halogen ones i uh, it's just not something that's at the front of most people's minds now One interesting thing, and I discussed this once, I believe, with Kelly when she was on the show. Pulling lights just isn't a term we use here. My understanding is that involves replacing the light, including its entire length of cable. Here we're very big on retrofit lights. So what we'll do is cut the old light off as close to the light itself as we can. Hopefully the builder had the foresight to leave plenty of excess cable to get the light up to the water, up to the surface of the pool. And then retrofit lights, you just attach the cable to the back of them. There's some mechanism to seal it in there. Uh, Quite often a little plastic case that gets unscrewed. Wire in the cable into the light, put the plastic case back on. A lot of them, uh, Spar Electrics especially, and Waterco lights. They like supplying a lanolin sealant. So you warm that up either in your pocket or leave it in the sun. Warm it up so it's nice and um, not so viscous. It runs a little bit smoother. Squeeze that into there, fill it up, and then there's a couple of screws that you put over to hold it in, uh, hold all the lanolin sealant in place. So much, much easier way of replacing a light. And the end result is much better. So I guess overall, the big thing is whether to repair or replace, you've got to consider the best interests of the customer. I mean, yes, it's easy to say, oh, look, your pump basket's broken. You need a new pump. I've seen people do that type of thing. That's not how you build an effective long-term relationship with your customer. So you factor in what remaining service life there is on the equipment, what the cost of spare parts is going to be and doing the repair never repair stuff for free there has to be a service charge to it so the cost of the parts with repair compared to the cost of replacement compared alongside the value and the worth of the equipment to start with remember i mentioned is it worth changing all these parts on an 800 dollars robot probably not $4,000 robot? Yeah, generally, yes. So, always look at these things. I hope this has been some help to you. Uh, I'd like to make a very big shout out to George, who is a pool owner who's been listening to the podcast. Uh, he reached out to me with a couple of technical questions as somebody who's, who's actually in the process of buying a pool, uh, so he's not industry. Uh, very sensible questions that were asked. More than happy to help you with those. Uh, If there's any topics you'd like us to discuss, please email us, talkingpools at gmail.com or on the Talking Pools Podcast Facebook group. Now, no word from Shane as yet. I reckon his wife must be pretty exhausted by now because, uh, yeah, she's been in labour for a fair while. Either that or the baby's arrived and he's just so overjoyed, exhausted. Other that he hasn't um, told us as yet which having had two kids myself I completely understand and respect that Uh, I will say that Rudy and I had a little uh, game going on earlier Uh, if the child was born prior to 5pm Auckland time we decided its name should be Rudy Peter Sneddon but now it's after 5pm that I'm recording this, so it is of course going to be named Peter Rudy Sneden. So um, let's see if uh, Shane and more importantly his wife buys in on that. Somehow I have my doubts. But Shane, all the best to you. I really hope we can get a breaking news bit inserted into this episode during the editing pro- process. Uh, all the best to you your wife, uh, your child, and your new baby. Uh, Really do wish you all the best there. That's it from me. Gee, I've rabbited on for over 40 minutes now. My goodness me. You've definitely had enough. Have a great week. Stay safe out there. And all the best. Uru.